welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, episode 21, Understanding Enneagram Types, part three. The challenger, the peacemaker, introversion, extroversion, and the highly sensitive person. Well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, hi, this is John Dupuy, and this is the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. And uh, Doug just informed me that it is episode 21. 21. So we're just about, uh, we are adults. We can vote now. Does that mean? And, yeah. uh, no, you can vote at 18 now. Anyway, so it's 21, three sevens. I'm sure that has cosmic significance, but I'm not going to try to figure it out right now. But what we are, uh, we had uh, on episode 19, we were just about getting to the end of the Enneagram. We had two points left, eight and nine. And then we had that fantastic uh, session with Dr. Adam Gorman. Yeah. So now we're going to get back to finishing the Enneagram. And the teaser last time I said, <laughs> there's getting, moving to point eight that there's somebody who uh, quite famous is in the news daily and likes to tweet. Now, who could that be? Well, Kim Kardashian. It, yeah, right, right. Uh, maybe I don't know. It could be, but it's it's um, DT President DT uh, Donald Trump, and he is an eight. And you might, well, I don't know. The different people have different reactions to him, but I can tell you my. I, I'm not going to get into that right now. But anyway, he's an eight, okay? An eight is it is the PowerPoint, okay? And it is also called the Venge because eights are all about, unhealthy eights are all about vengeance and getting back. And if you've been following uh, Donald's career in the last, you know, few months, you know, or since he emerged on the national scene in a big way with, with this, uh, the election campaign, he's, he's all about, and he's always trying to get back and hurt people. And my wife, um, Pam, who's a very accomplished uh, therapist and clinician, uh, talked about AIDS being the angry victim. Okay. You know, not one time in this whole Trump enrollment has, and all, with all the just missteps and dumb things that have happened and the offending of our allies and getting together with our enemies, I mean, all this crazy stuff, he's never said, Oh, I made a mistake. Okay. I'm sorry. It's incapable of that. It's like, that is just. Uh, eight at the um, at a really low level, and you're interesting enough that people like Christie and what was the former uh, mayor of New York, Giuliani. Right. Thank you. I mean, oh my God, you know Giuliani is a classic eight, and so is Christie, and so eights often attract eights because you know it's like it's all about power, wink, 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 you know, and you get it, and like Kid Rock, and a lot of the kind of people that are that are uh, are eights, you know, eights like eights, Putin, Trump, you know, it's like. Regardless of, of nationalities and, and uh, you know, things like democracy and dictatorships, you know, Duterte, you know, they kind of get each other at that level. And it's about power. And I'm being a counterphobic um, six. I'm always knocking heads with eights. And sometimes counterphobic six can actually look like eights because, we're you know, we're, we're powerful and we go to the fight. But, you know, it's like, bam, 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 knocking heads against the power. And we're fighting the power. So uh, there, there's that aspect to it now, uh, and and the the kind of uh, low pathological end of eight. You're a sociopath, you know. It's all about power. You have no conscience. I mean, you know, do you think 
uh, the fact that he might have hurt some people and kicking all the people off Obamacare, the 28 million or however many people, do you think he loses sleep over that? I don't think so. And sociopath is a, a definition of personality disorder. We have no conscience, you know, and you can ape emotions and get this and that, but you really haven't achieved uh, that type of thing. And of course, with it's uh, an extreme form of narcissism, as we see in, in President Trump, it's all about him and nobody really matters except as they reflect on him. So that is extremely, I mean, in our face, everyday example of a negative eight. However, on the other hand, the other hand, if eights ever do get it together, and not many of them do, because it's really hard to get through that angry victim thing. But the ones that do get together can be absolutely world-changing leaders and heroes. And a really good example in our, our American uh, history is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the power. And he changed everything. He changed everything. He laid his life down on the line, and he knew he was going to get killed. He walked into that with an open heart consciously. In his last speech, he says, I'm not going to be here with you much longer, but just showing. So if you are an eight, it's a typical point. All right. And our prisons are full of them, quite frankly. There's more eights in prison than there are any other points because it's uh, unhealthy. It is so powerful and so it can be so dangerous and just like this. But if they do get it together, they have this potential to be absolutely phenomenal uh, leaders. And I had a, I always problems with eights across the board. And I had a client who was an eight. And what I learned from working with that client is that this tender, tender, vulnerable, I think she called it a jelly bean self inside that's been so hurt. And there's just this, mm, that's protection, you know, and if you can get over your projections as in me and get down to see the vulnerability and the hurt, then you can start. And then it changed the whole story for me when I really experienced that with, with the woman that I was working with It changed my view of AIDS forever. So what do you say, guys? You know, John, this uh, applies across all the types, but I think it is perhaps more clear and obvious with the eight than any of the others, uh, which is that your level of level development or stage development really clearly defines the way that your typology is going to manifest and shows you the way that you need to ascend through stage development too, um, which requires, of course, doing the work and doing the practices to get that inner perspective to realize what you need to go, what you need to go through to grow through the stages and, and become the best version of your type because the gifts of the eight can just be incredible. But boy, can the unhealthies cause chaos for everyone. Yeah. And often with a, a young aide or a, a, a not a bomb aide, they have no idea of what it's like, you know, the bull in China closet. It's like, what? What do I do? You know, it's like they, there's not a lot of awareness how they impact people. And they just think it's natural. And with growth and eventual, you know, a history of just shattered China, your whole path eventually they go, well, maybe, oh, you know, maybe. It's me wrecking the China. Then, then self-awareness begins to emerge, and that's you know that's the beginning of wisdom, as it were. So, um, and and the, and the need to get back, you know, vengeance. If you cross an eight, you know, it's like a, you know, they they, they say revenge is a dish uh, best served cold. You know, they will come around and they will get you. You know, and uh, I remember there was a uh, there was a correspondence dinner. That President Obama was kind of being roasted, and uh, I mean, and Trump was there, and Obama just dissected him with humor. And at that moment, he was going to get back Obama. And I think his whole thing about Obamacare and anything that attached to any policy, whether it's NATO or this or that or the other, he, it's not so much he doesn't really care about the policies. He just wants to get back 
at Obama for kind of humiliating him in that in, in a humorous way at that meeting. I really believe that. And you'll find that in, in the age structure. So if they can get over there being an angry victim and uh, heal from that and heal that, that vulnerable place inside, then you can become a world leader. However, if you have a, uh, a disorder, um, a characterological disorder, uh, it ain't really fixable folks. Is that right? Uh, Bob, by kind of by definition, it's just, there it is. I think I mentioned in a, a recent podcast, uh, a cover article in a recent Rolling Stone magazine, uh, the title of the article was The Pathological Narcissism of uh, President Donald Trump. And uh, uh, as I shared in the previous uh, uh, episode, this wasn't one of these excoriating kind of polemics, you know, let's just, let's just uh, wipe out Trump. It was actually written almost as a clinical case write-up looking at, at the characteristics, in this case, of Donald Trump and comparing them to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that's used in psychiatry and psychology, looking diagnostically just one after the other, each one of these criteria. And, uh, and the article discussed this last question you asked is that it's particularly challenging working with narcissistic personality disorder, which is really the argument of this article. One can agree with it or not, but it's worth looking at it and at least reading it in context is that one of the challenges that working with pathological narcissism is, you've already commented on John, is that what, me worry? What's the problem is that narcissism is egocentric to the extreme. And so any other voices in terms of a, uh, a, a, a we space of second person it's is categorically denied with ironically the pathology denies that input and so it makes it very difficult I certainly know over the years of practice I've had a handful of clients that were bona fide narcissistic personality disorders they were never there uh, because uh, coming in for themselves it was always referred kind of at gunpoint and it was always somebody else's fault that they were there so really challenging there's been a lot of advances made in psychotherapy working with this disorder, so I don't want to be uh, the uh, the bringer of doom and gloom with it. But the challenges are really yeah. You better know you better know what you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah it's and, a specialty and, into itself. Yeah. yeah, and oftentimes if we haven't dealt with that ourselves, either personally or professionally or clinically, and we are mere neurotics, we kind of project that everybody's trying to do their best, and we have some you know you know we're not perfect, we screwed up, made mistakes, and blah blah blah. And this person was part of that. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. And, and my wife is a very experienced clinician and yeah. therapist, very successful. And she used to say it's characterological. Yeah. And, 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 I, yeah. and I was like, I didn't like that at all because in my paradigm, everybody, there's hope, you know, everybody can transform. But I learned that there was just, there's just a layer of, Oh my God. Okay. And one of the things in dealing with an eight, you know, I, I've guided through the wilderness and had clients and blah, blah, over the years is that if you try the ninth, the soft touch, They'll just think you're ridiculous and say, oh, this is just a, this is just a mark. So if you're dealing with a, you've got things that would wound you desperately. You just got to confront, say, shut up and sit down or you're going to jail. Read my lips. And they go, oh, okay. Wow. Okay. I can listen to this person. He's real. You know, and it's like, <laughs> that would be, what? you can't do this. So you have to learn that. And, and maybe, you know, just this direct, direct coming from a place of strength because that's what they respect. And that's why eights always love each other because they see another powerful person, you know, uh, Trump looks at Putin and go, man, you know, 
somebody gets in the way, he just takes them out. You know, that's a leader, you know, and, and uh, Giuliani too was like, Oh my God, you know, Vladimir is such a great guy. And I'm like, what? He's this bloody dictator who's destroyed democracy in this country and just kills people is, 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 you know, people that oppose him randomly, you know, let, let me, let me toss in another piece here. I think it was prefigured by something you said, Doug, as well. Be happy for you to riff off of it is that, uh, Looking at uh, looking at what we're talking about in terms of uh, narcissism or the shadow side, let's say of an eight, is that the uh, the, uh, the tricky part here, here is for us to remember that all of us developmentally start off. Actually, we don't start off with a sense of self at all, but our first sense of self early in development in the first two or three years of life is profoundly narcissistic. Sure. And, so, and so when we talk about transcend and include in an integral uh, unfolding, uh, we, we all ideally will transcend that kind of rank narcissism of a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old. And when you see somebody who doesn't, it uh, becomes increasingly problematic. But there's not a one of us that can't access that narcissism or the bad side of eight within ourselves. And in fact, if you put enough, put, put us, any one of us in enough stressful of a circumstance, we'll devolve to that. So I guess some humility realizing that uh, that am I, <laughs> you know, there, go, there goes me. And uh, to do our own inner work around this as well. Oh, yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, AIDS can be just brilliant dealing with uh, as counselors or therapists with people in early recovery because they just cut to the chase. I mean, there's so much yeah. denial and everything. If you have an eight working on, you ain't going to get away with that. You know, they're just going to cut right to the truth. And it's just like, ah, you know, and I, I've seen that work really well in, in treatment programs. And so there, yeah. there's, yeah. if that, if that, if that, um, power can be evolved to a place where it's no longer just narcissistic and the angry uh, victim stage. Look out, Hannah, it's You know, you can change the world, you know? I mean, it, people with great power, you know, have, have great responsibility. And if you are, are eight and you hear, you better get your act together, brothers and sisters, because you're going to really screw up a lot of people's lives, including your own. So you got to work on yourself to get to there because we need your kind of heroic power and capacity at a high level, you know? So that's the scary and the cool thing, you know? It's like, like with all this kind of, yeah, 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 there's also this tremendous capacity for being, change the world in a good way. Yeah, we all have a tendency to follow strength, to follow certainty. And that's one thing that, that the eights are really good at is uniting people. So when that strength mm -hmm. and certainty comes from a place of being unable to be wrong. Obviously, we end up in a situation like we're in now where you know, we're not going to adhere to the Paris Climate Agreement anymore. We're going to go our own way because we are so certain or we're following, you know, our, our president's certainty on the matter for better or for <laughs> worse. But um, any, anyhow, we, when, when a leader develops their capacity to take perspective, when they ascend through the stages, when they realize that we are all moving towards a single world, single cosmos, and start to think of ourselves as one people and can unite us, then we have a brilliant guiding hand to follow in an aid. And that is a powerful gift that they can bring to everyone. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. work on yourselves, dear beloved eights, because you matter. 
One way the one way or the other, you're going to matter. But you know, let's let's just do this thing for good, shall we? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's where you're going to find your great joy. And you have, you know, you have the power that us other types sometimes maybe dream about. So, mm-hmm. but power can be used for good or ill, as we know. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, I don't know. I think we've covered that pretty well. <laughs> and um, uh, so, the last but not least is the nine. And boy, it's a big shift from the eight. Uh, and the nine is the peacemaker. Okay, um, my my wife Pam is a nine, but boy, she has a um, she has an eight wing, and she also the the nine moves to three, the doer achiever uh, when they get healthy, and she has a capacity for work and focus and getting things done that just humbles me. But anyway, a nine is a peacemaker. Often the nines have uh, very diffuse boundaries. Okay. They can like, if, if they're in a therapy group, it's like, whose feelings am I feeling here? You know, cause you're so identified and you can move so uh, empathetically. And that can be, if you don't know how to deal with that, that can, that can really be a problem. Or if you learn how to make that a strength, it can be a great gift. You know, nines can make tremendous therapists because they had that empathy, that capacity to really be with people. And when they learn how to kind of play that, you know, what's self and not self and higher self and all these things, they, they become uh, uh, extremely gifted. And and they tend, tend to be natural mystics, okay, because of the diffuse ego boundaries that they really kind of get the one with the universe. I mean, they, they probably uh, move into mysticism or unitive non-dual experiences perhaps easier than than any other point, which is pretty cool, which is nice because my poor little scared six self moves to nine when I get it together. So I move towards natural, you know, nineness at, at peace and, and unity. So um, they also tend to really avoid uh, a conflict. You know, so I, I remember one time I was doing a sweat lodge years ago with a dear friend of mine who was a, uh, he was pretty fundamentalist at the time. And then I had this nine guy and we were doing a sweat out and he wanted to sit on a, I don't know, some kind of cushion or seat in the sweat lodge. And I'm like, don't sit on a God blessed seat, you know, sit on the earth. And we, and we just started getting into it. And he said, me. And the poor little nine friend, he was out of the lodge, you know, heading, <laughs> heading for the woods, you know, he didn't want to, then finally came back a while. If you guys, uh, you know, got it together it's because, because they're so sensitive. They're so intuitive that be, being around that kind of stuff can uh, be really painful and threatening. So there's avoidance of conflict. There's this peacefulness. There's this intuitive, uh, empathetic capacity. And the, the problem of the, um, uh, of the nines uh, that have not moved, in, of course, into the three self is they're kind of uh, just laid back and, and kind of, they don't want to do anything. You know, they'd, you remember the, the kid, children's book, Ferdinand the Bull? You know, and he would be sitting there, you know, up on a hill and all the other young bulls and they're all playing, bulling around. He would just be eating a flower and watching the sun and the wind and the moon and all this stuff. And that's kind of a nine, you know, they're, they're just, they have this, uh, the nines do great in nature. You know, they can really open up to their surroundings like that. So it's really the peacemaker. And they will try to take, you know, as the counterphobic sixes and the eights knock heads, you know, they'll come in and be able to help us to resolve these things. So, uh, gentlemen, any comments? Yeah, I, I have a, a go. You go ahead, Doug, and I'll follow on you. <clears throat> All right. I, I was going to say that I have something around this that I would kind of like to explore. Um, I have taken the Enneagram test a number of times over the years. I would love to get the two of your thoughts on this. And, while I believe that I am 
most strongly a type five with a four wing. I also, especially in the earlier times that I took the test, tended to score very, very high on nine, often even above my five wing four. And because and what, what parts shifted, of nine, Doug? Um, well, all of it, really. I can even read the description and, and yeah. identify with all of that, particularly um, wanting to keep the peace being conflict averse and conflict avoidant, uh, cherishing the unity and wholeness, the peace and solitude in nature, the ability to kind of move into the feelings of others and ignore what's, you know, really going on inside me. Uh, all of that was true. Um, what, and of course, as a, as a five, one of the reasons I think I'm five is that I have a theory about why this was and why it has shifted mm-hmm. more towards five again over the years in my recovery. I think that I adopted the behaviors and the strategies of type nine largely as a coping mechanism for the shame of my addiction. I sought to avoid any kind of conflict um, as a way to protect myself. And I devolved into the feelings of others because of the shame, my own feelings, my things didn't matter. And so I adopted, and this is unhealthy nine, of course, sure. not, not a fully developed nine, but uh, as I have gotten healthier in my recovery, I have shifted more back towards what I think is my true typology. And this is all becoming clear as I study it and think about it and continue to do the practices. So you guys have any, I don't know, thoughts about that? Whether well, I'm and, and also or... when you grew up, it wasn't really safe. You didn't feel loved or even safe in your household from what we've, you know, we've talked about. And uh, that man, and, and there's so many of us that come out of that. I mean, Bob, your story. Uh, yeah. I had a very gifted brother. My parents were pretty good. I mean, you know, all the stories I've heard about parents over the years are like, God bless you, mom and dad. And I said in the introduction of my book, when I was in growth process in grad school, we sent three quarters like processing our stuff. And I'm going, all my crap is mine. My parents don't have anything to do with it. They were, they were good enough in a big way. And I'm probably still in denial about it. But anyway, I desperately loved it. But my brother was a little high strung and he, you know, I shared a room with him and I always kind of had to you know, kind of be two steps ahead to make sure it wouldn't get dangerous or threatening for me. So, so much of us are, are, you know, who we are is a reaction to a lot of things. There's a lot of things, but, but how how we grew up and where we loved, where, you know, we walk in the breakfast and and our mom's face lights up and dad gets home from work and come here, son, let me give you a hug. God, I love you. You know, stuff like that. And you go, wow, I am loved in the world. People want me to be here. And if you don't get that, you know, then, it can cause problems. And I think there's studies, and I think Guy Duplessis talks about that, how there's correlations between the unhealthy, uh, you know, familial childhood uh, environments that directly can affect uh, people's vulnerability to becoming addicts. I like that. I, I, Doug, I, I really appreciate, um, you were talking about in terms of your five, I appreciate your reflection on this, uh, just what you just shared. Um, so first of all, I want to thank you for that. Uh, I, I always appreciate your, um, to me, really profound self-reflection. Um, and a, a thought occurred to me, I really liked how you linked your own nine to almost like a way to ward off shame or to protect yourself from having shame maybe activated in interactions and so on. It occurred to me, and I don't know, John, maybe because you have such familiarity with the Enneagram, I wonder if there's been much uh, writing or reflection in the literature around how these different styles and different patterns or different types are informed by addiction and how those play out uh, with 
kind of different faces, different faces, like what you were talking about, Doug, that's one particular manifestation. Mine as a seven has its own. It'd be really interesting to, uh, to explore that. Maybe it's been done, John. Do you have a sense of that? Well, yeah, I don't know if I talked about it in my book or not when I went over the Enneagram, but we definitely, I've done, had a lot of like informal discussions about it, mm-hmm. whether being in panels or teaching or just talking with yeah. people about yeah. it. And I think, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, the one, the perfectionist, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're a perfectionist and you're anything but perfect. The mm-hmm. shame that's inherent in that contradiction, I mean, that is a natural to want to numb out, you know, and just stop that voice of self-criticism, you know, and an unhealthy one could do on themselves or they could, you can do it on other people. So, you know, you could go through and and the two, an unhealthy two becomes very codependent, you know, and, and trying to serve and everything and forgets the place where real strength and real service comes from you know and to numb out that pain of not being enough and the three you know you want to be a doer and achiever and often the three focus is very exterior you know you want to get the diplomas you want to win the medals you know get get the uh, uh, the trophy bride, you know, da, 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 all that exterior stuff. And that, of course, that leaves incredible empty existential vacuum in your soul. And what are you going to fill that up with? You know, yeah. after a while, all your accomplishments mean nothing. And it's like yeah. either you're going to go deep or you're going to start numbing out. Yeah. The four, again, very vulnerable to that stuff because of the sensitivity of the four, mm-hmm. you know, and, and being so sensitive and artistic and everything and not having a world that doesn't respond to you that much, you know, your gifts aren't honored because, you know, we can be, I mean, the sin of, of, of the United States, we're a very three country. We're a very achiever. You're yeah. a country that the, uh, the countries that criticize us justly or not, it's never, Oh, those lazy Americans. You know, I hear that. No, we're not lazy. We're anything but lazy. You know, maybe we're going to, you know, chop down every tree in the, uh, on the planet, you know, to make a buck, but we're not lazy. And so, you know, we have to go into, well, the the uh, the six the unhealthy three goes to six which is loyalty and service and you know all that stuff so anyway so you can see how, yeah, how that vacuum can be easy. created by the yeah. three the yeah. four and actually fours are more prone to commit suicide or at least attempt suicide than any other point because mm-hmm. that deep sensitivity so you got to be aware of that and my my older brother committed suicide mm-hmm. and I've had um, friends commit suicide and so when I, people go there I take it and I wanted to commit suicide quite frankly for years so I take that stuff seriously. Yeah, you know, very seriously. Yeah. Uh, the five, you know, uh, you could use drugs to heal the dissociative patterns. You know, you're so cut off from yourself. You know, you're living in your head, and it's the empty vacuums of the mind that's not connected to the heart and the body, right? And you could use that to heal the split. And I'm just kind of theorizing about that's this. It's not thus saith the Lord, yeah. you know. Uh, and and uh, the six, it's fear. Have a drink, bud. You know, oh, now I can, you know, be, I'm, I'm, I'm a drunk and it was a, a Jimmy Buffett did the song. I'm a, I'm a drunk and a fearless man or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you use, you know, drugs to, uh, to calm that, you know, the, the constant underlying anxiety of just being in the world, you know, yeah. which a six, an unhealthy six can, can uh, do for the, for the seven. What do you say, Bob? You know, what, <laughs> what, what, what did drugs and alcohol do for you? Well, as we talked about in, in the previous episode, I, as a, as a seven, I, um, I was already prone to Dionysian extreme. I always was it, you know, my, my initial identity really is, it was as a drummer. I mean, that's honest to God, that's the, the perfect expression of myself. 
And, uh, and it served me as a seven in terms of the brokenness or the shadow side. It served me, as we discussed, in terms of spiritual bypassing. Yeah. So it took what is already my strong suit and then perverted it kind of for the purposes of denying or numbing out or bypassing stuff that I needed to do around uh, some, some deep level work with trauma and so on. So, yeah, that's my experience with being in seven. And, and it, it made it, it actually made it, it was very disguised for me because it's like here was here was substance and getting high and that's already what I value. It wasn't like, as I mentioned, it wasn't like doing something other than what I do. It was just taking it down a route that I wasn't aware of. And it was very much um, kind of the foot in the door. It was a very gradual process for me. I didn't wake up one day and become addicted. Over a period of time, over a period of years, it began to increase uh, more and more. And so all the way along, I felt like it was, I, I never felt like a hypocrite. I felt like, no, this is, this is Bob Weathers. This is what I do. I, this is what I've always done and didn't realize how far eroded I had gotten from a path of a healthy seven, let's say, or a healthy diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course, eight, I mean, there's a lot of pain in the eight, you know, the feeling of you're kind of different from everybody else. And, you know, you walk in the room, everybody goes, Oh God, you know, there's a, that uh, thing. And that you could either, you could either use drugs and alcohol to loosen that, to open your heart, to heal that, you know, that vulnerable jelly bean self inside, or you could become more powerful. You know, you do meth and Coke and nothing can stop me now, you know? Ugh. So th there can be various things, you know, that's why people can use, uh, you know, stimulants and amphetamines and, and methamphetamines to be powerful. You know, when you're on the run, you can do anything and, and that craziness. And, and, and a nine of course would be just to, to, to to numb out from the pain of the world, you know, that incredible sensitivity that the nine has, you know, it's like, Oh man, I don't have to feel pain for a while. It's a pain killer. You know, I can, I can just relax. I can float off into the, the land of dreams, you know, so heroin uh, could really be, you know, an alcohol. You could see that. And, and uh, nines tend to have, yeah, drinking problems too. That's something that could, John, let, me dive, let me, let me dive in here real quickly. I, I want to make a mention of something. Um, um, around the nine, and it might apply to the four. You can help with this, uh, Doug, as well. Just this last week, I viewed a documentary that was created a couple of years ago. Maybe you all are familiar with it. It's just simply called Sensitive, a documentary called Sensitive, and it's based on Elaine Aaron's research. She's a research psychologist back in New York. It's based on her research, and it's actually been replicated internationally that one out of five people on the planet are what's referred to as sensitive. And it's not to be, they get labeled as shy or fearful or avoidant or odd. Sometimes they get labeled as being on the spectrum of Asperger's. But what, what this research has, has, has uh, uh, uncovered is that, that one out of five people on the planet, cross-culturally valid, have these four characteristics that set them statistically apart from the other four out of five. And the characteristics, I, I, when you were describing a nine, John, I kept thinking, wow, this sounds like, they call it a high, highly sensitive person, an HSP. The first characteristic is um, um, depth of processing, is that just as a cognitive process, this person takes stuff and reflects really much more deeply than is the norm. Uh, right next to that is the second characteristic is maybe because of that and because of a certain kind of perceptual style, they tend to be overstimulated. That is, it's like life comes and it's, what did, what did, what did Wordsworth say? The world is too much with me. It's like, yeah. 
that yeah. kind of sense. The third quality tied into what you were saying, John, about being emotionally empathic, emotionally attuned, tend to be much more emotionally sensitive than the, than the norm. And the fourth one, the fourth characteristic of this sensitive or highly sensitive personality is uh, uh, they tend to be extremely sensitive to subtleties or nuances. They notice details that people don't catch. And so, and, and is it very much in sync with an Enneagram as Elaine Aaron and the other psychologists, et cetera, were reviewing this. They said that it's in its shadow form this leads to real dysfunction in life in terms of almost impossible to sustain relationships, very hard to launch into one's yeah. life and contribute. But then as you can imagine with those characteristics I just named, and it makes me think of all the artists, for example, um, is that if that can somehow be managed and healed in terms of its limitations, these highly sensitive people are the movers and shakers in the creative domains uh, in the helping in the helping professions and so on. So I, I, it's the first time I thought about it, John, is, is that you're talking about the nines, there probably is some significant crossover with this highly sensitive person, this sensitive person. Yeah. And there might also be with the fours too. I don't know because I, I, you're more familiar with this, but it's an interesting piece. And what I like about it is, you know, this was developed in the last 30 years since I was in graduate school. So there was none of this research was done was in graduate school. I'm just getting familiar with it right now is that, in the same way as with the Enneagram, this is not a, patho a pathologizing nomenclature. If you get diagnosed as an HSP, as a highly sensitive person, it doesn't presume any pathology at all. It may go a pathological direction, yeah. certainly in our society, like you said, our society, which is so extroverted and so doing-oriented. If you're one of these people who's very, very... Uh, very sensitive. It probably is a maladaptive environment to grow up in, but it doesn't have to be pathological. In fact, it can be your greatest gift. So and you, need, and you yeah, you often you'll need to find a coach or a guide or a Mr. Yes. Miyagi, right? Yeah. Who yes. can make this thing that yeah. can kill you into a superpower. Yeah. You know, and that yeah. takes that takes work and trans yes. transformative yeah. practice yeah. Yeah. to do that. Let, but it's a great let, gift. Let me recommend this as a start for anybody that, that resonates with this. If you're not sensitive yourself, you're in a relationship to somebody that's sensitive because all of us have somebody in our family that's sensitive. Is that if you go online and just look up sensitive documentary, up will come a link to this. It's linked to Alanis Morissette, the singer. So her songs are wound through this because she describes herself as one of these. And so it's, it'll appeal. It's really well done in terms of the aesthetics of it and so on. I think it costs 10 bucks to download it, but it's really worth understanding your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter or maybe yourself. So I recommend that, especially in the context of our talking about the fours and the nines with the Enneagram. So and and you have to learn. I, uh, I just read a book about the same subject. I think they, they, they talked about it differently, but, okay. you know, there's a lot of practical advice about, you know, mm. in toxic relationships, you know, you can't do that one too well. So you need to really protect yourself yes. and, you know, and get out of the, get out of the space, you know, if it's, yeah. if it's yeah. going to hurt you, especially if you're in recovery too, you can't hang around with people that are going to drag you down. You need to, hang around as much as possible people that are going to meet you where you're at and lift you up, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a very two edged sword, but it can be a superpower and it really needs to be acknowledged, you know, and then trained and learn how to, how to, how to, uh, you know, channel it and how to use that capacity. There's an interesting piece, John. I just thought of it as you were talking the, the, the popular assumption, particularly in the U S might be, well, that sounds a lot like women. <laughs> Actually, what's interesting cross-culturally, including in the U S 30% of highly sensitive personalities are male. 
So it, it does yeah. load yeah. up in terms of the feminine characteristics, but 30% of biological males are highly sensitive. So it really opens up the discussion to be across both genders. Yeah, and you'll find in twos, you know, the helper, there's a lot more women that are that are twos than men. You know, it's kind of a natural thing to go to. You do find uh, men in the six, as far as our sensitivity, because everything is scary and the world's a threatening place. You're always scanning the environment. So you could become often sixes develop uh, intuitive gifts. You know, they can read people's minds or they can see the future before it happens. They start getting the psychic zones. Uh, Helen Palmer, our original uh, Enneagram teacher, was a, a phobic six. And she was just like, she was psychic. I mean, she could, you know, just pick up things. And she was uh, running draft dodgers. Um, into mm-hmm. Canada during the Vietnam War in New York State, and she said there would be there'd be good ready to, to smuggle another uh, load of draft dodgers off, and she would go, "No, I'm not going, not this yeah. night." And they would get busted. So she was able to kind of use that wow. and feel, mm-hmm. you know. And so that kind of capacity, if you're a cop, if you're a soldier, I mean, you know, you, you could see how these things could really be uh, be uh, useful gifts, or if you're a draft dodger smuggler. I just find all that fascinating, Bob, and I'm so grateful to you for sharing that. Um, I'm going to go look it up as soon as we finish this recording, and I'm also going to uh, post a link to that documentary on the website for everybody to easily be able to find it. Um, Not only do I certainly seem to embody that from both a nine and four perspective or both, but uh, I, I think, too, I was thinking about introversion, and yeah. social anxiety. Now, mm-hmm. I am very much, I, I think there's a lot of confusion about those in our, mm-hmm. our culture yes. sometimes. Yes, People sure. misattribute them. Um, I'm a classic introvert in that I need some alone time to recharge myself, to process, to think, to put ideas together, to explore things, and spending too much time out in, out in the world with too much going on is definitely too much. That may be related to exactly what you're talking about and what this documentary is talking about with being a highly sensitive person. She actually, I'll dive in real quickly, Doug, just, just, this will further pique your interest is that in Elaine Aaron's initial research in the late 1980s, she assumed that she might've found a different entry point into the, uh, into introversion. And in fact, discovered that it's not, it's, it's a different factor. And so statistically they don't line up. There will be some introverts, in this case, you, that would maybe perhaps be highly sensitive, but there are plenty of extroverts that are this way too. So it ends up being a, uh, they call it in statistics, it's an orthogonal factor. They're statistically unrelated, which is very curious. You'll find uh, I, may, I may be a, a two-legged walking orthogonal factor. You know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you are, John. I'm pretty sure you are. Oh. Anyway, I interrupted you, Doug. I want you to continue. I just want oh, to uh, um, I was I was going to add that you know I do have some social anxiety too, and partly that's related to shame. But uh, working through it is really really important. And I started to do that by confronting it directly at first with my acting classes and, and exposing yeah, myself yeah. in that way. And, you know, then eventually letting my writing be seen still under a pen name, of course, but exposing my creative work to the world in that way. Um, still, it persisted. I remember uh, the first time I, I met John, I had sent him an email and he responded with, well, let's talk on Skype. And I went, <gasps> oh, no, <laughs> Just, you know, all this fear and oh, my gosh, I'm going to have but, you know, was was so grateful too at the same time and I'm glad that I was able that I had worked on that enough that I was able to go go do that um yeah. these podcasts I 
love being in the two of your company and get a lot of value from this, but Likewise, you know, there's, there's certainly uh, an exposure there too. And my sensitive nature likes to shy away from it. Working through that and, and showing up, doing this work, sharing my thoughts is so good for me. Yeah. And hopefully um, for the people listening, getting some value yeah. out of this, um, yeah. but finding like a way for each of us in our lives to yeah. work with that and, and, Mm. act in spite of our sensitivity can be or, or so to make powerful. your sensitivities your gift, you know, learn how to, how to, that can be a, a, a you know, wonderful. And, you know, in talking about that, I've always been interested in kind of extroverts and introverts and thing. And then gradually they told me there's a spectrum, you know, the introvert over here and the extrovert. And then most of us are somewhere in between on that scale. And the introvert is somebody who gets refueled by being alone. And the extrovert is the, the person who gets refueled by being with people. You know, oh, let's go to that. Let's not, man. I'm going to go off, you know, and go sit on the mountain over there. Or go sit in my cave. And I, you know, I tend toward, and, and, and people like it, you, an introvert, you know, because uh, the introvert, you know, blessed or cursed with extrovert gifts. You know, I don't, I probably don't come off as an introvert here because, you know, you would think it. But definitely I need alone time to refuel. And luckily hanging out with my dog and my wife is not, you know, refuels me, you know, and they say I'm a, I'm a, a sexual subtype on the Enneagram, which doesn't mean I'm obsessed with sex any more than the rest of us. No, but, but it means that I, I, I'm much better communicating one-on-one or with a small group as opposed to, you know, big crowds. And that seems a bit overwhelming and much. Uh, and, you know, when I go to conference, I'm getting better at it because I love being with people in the conference that I go to these days that, the uh, transformational technology stuff and the integral things that I do in the recovery stuff. But early on, if I was going to present, you know, I would just do my time. Hi, thank you. I'm glad I <laughs> head to my room, meditate or find a gym, you know, and, and spend, you know, minimal time, you know, pumping hands and everything. And, and, and then I just found out that I was, I was missing so much richness and treasure because so many beautiful, gorgeous, wonderful people that go to these things and, and the, who changed my life just in being in relation and contact with them. So, yeah. Well, I bow to the three of us. I think all three of us are introverts. John, you and I can, can teach and speak and so on. And Doug, I completely bow to your courage in facing this. I've told students of mine over the years, I've taught for 35 years, my entire adulthood is that uh, after all those years of teaching, you would think that Bob, the introvert would get over that introversion. Um, and I wear a, I wear an undershirt underneath my shirt because if I don't, the sweat of my speaking in front of a class uh, seeps through, and that's 35 years down the road. The other thing is I always have a glass of water because my anxiety being in public makes my throat dry up. You get cotton mouth. Yeah, I, I I I'll end up with laryngitis if I'm not care, uh, careful. And so the odd thing is that I love doing this, John. I love doing yeah. you and I both. I think both you and I are wired to love doing it. But it's uh, Jung called it the opus contra naturum. It's the work against nature. It's the work against my introversion. And I bow to you, John, for how you bring it you bring it to the world. And I bow to you, Doug, for your courage to do ever more of that. And all three of us, ironically, doing this podcast are uh, blessed introverts. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and it, it definitely takes takes all kinds, you know. And, and again, I, and the more I do, like against my, my nature, you know, God is 
you find you discover God in the rejected parts. You know, you go into the shadow stuff. That's where you find the light and illumination. That's why we can't avoid that. And uh, then, yeah, our our uh, our callings, our vocations, forcing us. You know, and 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 Doug, I just want to say you bring this beautiful, I don't know, sensitivity. You know, yes. it's just like yes. it's to it when you're sharing. It's it's something Absolutely. so real and precious about it that I'm sure it's, you know, people are picking up on that. We, we had my partner, Colleen, came on as a guest a few podcasts ago. And, and afterwards, she said, she said just what you said, John. She said, Doug's uh, perceptiveness and his sensitivity is so tangible. And you and I agree, John, but it was really telling to me that Colleen, meeting you for the first time, having you be a co-host, completely got that and highly valued that, Doug. That's your contribution hugely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, not just as a guy that knows where to stick the wires and what switches to turn on and what website and how to do all of that. But yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been wonderful. It's been really so how are we doing on time? Uh, I think we're about there. Um, all right, beautiful. Well, look, you guys, again, it's been uh, a super pleasure, and we didn't get to the question. Remember, Bob? Yeah, we'll do that the next time. Okay. Anyway, yeah, one of the things that we want to build into this, we get these beautiful questions, these probing questions and emails and the Facebook stuff. And uh, so we're going to we're going to start, you know, maybe we'll just have a podcast. We do nothing but answer those things because the the, the, uh, I'm just so impressed by the quality of people that have been attracted to this and are are, are coming on board with this. Yeah. Doug, how would how would people get get uh, further questions uh, to us. I know we have the Facebook group that's now uh, by invitation only and it's kind of invisible unless you're invited mm-hmm. to it. But I'm just curious your, your recommendations. We'd like to invite listeners to this podcast to be able to contribute. Do you have thoughts there? Yeah. Um, well, we have two, two really good ways to do that. One, like you mentioned, Bob, is the Facebook group. Uh, if you visit integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash community, uh, mm. you can find that link there and request to join. Either Bob and I will approve you and yes. come yeah. ask us your questions. Uh, we, we try to be pretty present there. Bob especially uh, is pretty present there. And that's a good way if you need immediate help with something. Um, if you have something that you think is going to require a more in-depth answer, more discussion, or that you'd like us to explore further, you could also uh, send it directly to our email address. Um, visit integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash contact and pass us your question in an email. Um, I think that's a great idea to collect a few of those things and mm-hmm. do an episode here soon where we go through and just answer questions. Yeah, and we'll also protect everybody's anonymity when mm-hmm. we're reading the questions. You know, you won't be identified mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just say, this is a question we got from a person, you know, or whatever, yeah. how you say that. And, uh, but, but yeah, we love, I love the, I love the questions that we're getting and we'll, we'll uh, probably have to do that next time. Mm-hmm. And, I look forward uh, to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And look forward to the, the great guests that we're going to be, uh, mm-hmm. have a whole list of people now that uh, mm-hmm. are signing up and I, and I have to ask. So uh, mm-hmm. we also be getting women on here. If anybody's going, this really feels like a male thing. Well, remember all our mothers were women. Okay, so we're deeply connected to the feminine. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I just saw the movie Wonder Woman, uh, yeah, which I thought was fantastic. I mean, I the first too. half hour, I kind of got bogged down, too. and then it grabbed me. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there's been this discussion of whether Wonder Woman is a feminist film. And I would say it's post-feminist, okay? Because they, you know, I mean, obviously, the gorgeous woman. I mean, she is 
stunningly beautiful, the woman that plays Wonder Woman. I, I was like, who can pull this silly role? I always thought Wonder Woman, you know, in the tight little thing. It was kind of a silly thing. She does it with such gravitas and beauty and the beautiful, caring, loving, feminine heart, along with all that strength. I mean, that is like, you know, having your cake and eating it too. It's, it's a really extraordinary thing. And, and I would say that's beyond you know, early feminism to a post-feminism that, that brings an integration of masculine and feminine in a very beautiful way. So it's mm-hmm. a great myth and story uh, that's emerging right now. And boy, we are in the golden age of television and film. There's some creative souls out there that are just nailing it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, with that plug for the movie, mm-hmm. hey, love you guys. Thank everybody yeah. who's listening and showed up. And uh, again, Doug and, and Bob, thank you so much. And too, I can't John. wait till we do it you next too, time. Doug. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.